Hi, everybody. My name is Larsine. I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon. And uh, it's, again, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm going to just start out right away. I am not an authority by any stretch of the imagination. Al-Anon, I don't speak for Al-Anon. You know, what I share is just strictly my experience, strength, and hope. You know, if you want to know about the Al-Anon program, the literature, sponsor, that's, that's where you learn, you know, about, you know, if you want the actual facts. Uh, what you're pretty much going to get, you know, is uh, how I was raised in the program. You know, we initially had talked about, you know, what the topic of this workshop would be, and I think Sean had really wanted it to maybe, like, be on relationships or something. And uh, I got no problem with that because I've been married 37 years. I mean, Al-Anon's do relationships. They do. And, uh, you know, it's done. Commitment, responsibility, we love all those words. And, uh, but... Um, uh, Carl's a big chicken, so uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to get that out of the way. So uh, he's, And then he was so thrilled because he opened up the program and he goes, it doesn't say relationships. We can do it on anything we want, you know. So, so I, know, I know Carl kind of wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the big book and, uh, and, so, uh, and how AA works. And so I thought, well, you know, I had brought this book with me. This is our Path to Recovery, the Al-Anon book. And... Um, and there's a, in the beginning here is, is you know, an introduction to uh, Al-Anon and how it works. So what I thought I would do is, um, you know, just kind of give this, you know, read this little part to you and then share my experience, strength, and hope on that about, you know, how, you know, how these particular four primary ideas have worked in my life. So it says, at first glance, understanding the 12 steps of Al-Anon can be difficult. Words like powerless, unmanageable, sanity, God, fearless, moral inventory, defects of character, amends, prayer and meditation, and spiritual awakening may be confusing to a newcomer. It is the experience of millions, however, that proves these steps work. Notice that they are written in the past tense, echoing the experience of those who have walked this path before us. Because of the success of the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the steps were adopted almost word for word by Al-Anon in 1951. They outlined the means of living that have helped our members to find contentment and even happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. The steps are a path to a new way of life. We all come to Al-Anon because our lives have been affected by the disease of alcoholism. Many of us enter these doors feeling defeated by this disease. We have spent our energies trying to get an active alcoholic to stop drinking or otherwise control his or her actions. We may have spent much of our lives struggling with the effects of growing up in an alcoholic home. No matter what our individual situation is, in Al-Anon we discover that we are not alone and that a different way of life is available to us through the 12 steps. And then the steps suggest four primary ideas. And if, you know, to me, this is really the program in a nutshell. The first is we are powerless over the problem of alcoholism. When we can honestly accept this truth, it brings us a feeling of release and hope. We can now turn our full attention to bringing our own lives in order. We can go forward to spiritual growth, to the comfort and peace to be gained from the entire program. You know, and that was one of the big deals for me when I got to Allen on the first step. We are powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Well, you know, right out of the gate, I'm not powerless over alcohol. I don't have a problem with alcohol. This is why the step does not apply to me. Um, I have a very good friend, Karen A., who's just been in Al-Anon a million trillion years, you know, and she says, if you think the, hard, the, the steps are hard, try working them when you're perfect. You know, because, I mean, that's kind of, you know, because that is definitely, you know, I really walked in here a total victim. You know, it was not my fault. It's not my fault. If this stuff wasn't going on, you know, these, you know, these are behaviors I had to do in defense of myself. And, uh, you know, and the line I love in here is when, you know, it's, we are powerless over the problem of alcoholism. When we can honestly accept this truth, 
You know, and that's the deal when you can honestly accept the truth of that. You know, and I had to, you know, find, you know, my path to that truth um, because I really came in here not thinking I was powerless because I did a lot of things to force situations. Boy, I could force stuff to happen in my house. I don't know how you guys were, but, you know, if it's Sunday and, and, and I think we should be going on a picnic, I don't care how freaking hungover he is or how rambunctious the kids are, everybody's getting in that freaking car and we're going to the park and we're going to act like we're a freaking happy family, you know, and I mean, and everybody would be miserable beyond belief, but by God, we went there and by God, we had a picnic and, uh, you know, because, again, how it appears to everybody. And, you know, and for whatever reason, again, the family disease of alcoholism wants to think that there's something I can do to fix this. You know, it talks in our literature, I wasn't attractive enough, not clever enough to fix this problem for the one that I love. You know, and I was sure there was just something I was missing. You know, because, because I'm a firm believer, you know, you know and, and we hear it a lot, you know, love. You know, love can fix anything, you know. And, and I'm here to tell you, if loving could fix alcoholism... We, none of us would need to be in these rooms right today. We would, it would all be done. It would just all be done. But what I have learned is that happiness is an inside job. And somewhere in all the insanity of that, I became very dependent on my husband to make me happy. I made it his responsibility. And I pinned my happiness on somebody who was in the active disease of alcoholism, who could hardly function himself. Yet I made all, you know, and, and if that wasn't enough for him to cope, then he has to deal with making me happy. And obviously he doesn't love me because he's not making me happy because he keeps doing these things that keep hurting our family, and I don't understand why. Because, you know, every time he told me he was sorry, you know, I know that he meant it with every fiber of his being, he, you know, that he wasn't going to drink again. I know in that moment when he told me that, you know, that he, that was his total intention, was never to go out and do those things again. But, uh, you know, what I didn't know was that once he took the first drink, you know, the power of choice for him was gone. There is no wife, there is no kids, there is no love, there is no promises. There's just where he's got to go with that. And, um, and you know, and, and, and I, I, you know, when I got here, you know, it's really hard, you know, when, when, when you talk, you talk in an hour, and people think, you know, wow, you know, listen to this great recovery that happens. But I want you to know, you know, what's happened in my life, in my husband's life, is a process of 30 years in these rooms. 30 years. I mean, it's just, it's this much at a time, you know, and I, you know, when we were first, you know, he, when he was first sober and then after I started coming to Al-Anon, I don't even know that we even worked on our relationship at all. He had to work on him and I had to work on me before we could even get to that part of it, you know, and it's just a process that we had to get to, you know, and I wouldn't trust anything he told me at that point. I don't care what the heck he said, you know, I mean, it was, he, he had lost all credibility with me. You know, because he used to love to go to come home from the meetings and tell me what he learned about himself at the meetings. You know, do you know that I have very sensitive feelings? He would tell me crap like that. You know, I'm just like, yeah, uh-huh. And that alcoholics are above average intelligence, you know. I mean, yeah, you, you only hear that at AA meetings, as everybody well knows. Um, <laughs> you don't hear it shared a lot at Al-Anon meetings, I'll tell you that. So... But I tell you, it was so important for me to go to open meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous because that's where I learned about my husband's disease, listening to other alcoholics because they had absolutely no reason to lie to me. You know, and when they were telling their story, they were telling our story. You know, and I, and I could believe what they said so that I could, you know, have trust and, you know, an understanding that my husband was an alcoholic, that because he was powerless over that first drink, nobody had anything, you know, there was nothing I could have done anyway to have stopped that stuff from happening. Um, you know, we're really, um, you know, and, and then, you know, because the other part about this is, you know, we can now turn our full attention to bringing our own lives in order. 
You know, and that was the hard part for me because I have to take this focus that I have had so intensely on this person and now I've got to turn it around to me to look at what my part is in. Uh, in, uh, in my home group meeting, we have it in this church and uh, there's these tiles on the floor, it's in the basement. And, uh, and one of the big deals about our meeting all the time is, is uh, when we get there is, you know, everybody kind of stands in, in, in their own tile, you know, and the deal is stay in your square. You know, this is, what, this is the part you are responsible for in life. And, uh, and I'm pretty good about that, except for, you know, when other people's squares touch my square. You know, then I got some issues because there's some sloppy squares around me, and I, you know, and I try not to look at those squares. But that's what the whole idea of the program is. And to me, that's how you get it. You get it by practice, practice, practice. It's just what you do. Um, you know, when I get to do things like this, my sponsor always tells me, you know, she says, you know, when, if you're going to share, you know, then try and be as good an example of an Al-Anon person as you can be. And if you can't be a good example, then be a very loud warning. You know, so, uh, you know, I mean, so, and, and that's sometimes just how it is. You know, I'm either a good example or I'm a loud warning about how you want to be or how you don't want to be. And, um, you know, and the other thing my sponsor had me focus on that was very, very difficult for me in the beginning because, of course, my focus is always on them and what they're doing. I compensate for my family all the time. It's like if they're doing, you know, like I've got to do the, you know, whatever I've got to do to bring it back into balance. When my boys were growing up, they started getting long hippie hair. My hair got shorter and shorter because somebody has to have short hair in this house, you know. I mean, somebody's got to do it. You know, it's just my way of always compensating instead of accepting people exactly as they are and letting live and let live. And if I keep the focus on myself and watch what I'm doing, you know, my sponsor would always say to me when I would say, well, Butch did this and Butch did that. You know, well, that's kind of husband stuff. She goes, are you the husband? You know, no, you know I'm not the husband. I'm the wife. Then why don't you do the wife job and let him do the husband job? Do you even know how to do the husband job? You know, if, if my husband did everything like I wanted him to do, then I would be married to me. And that would not be good. I don't think I would like that at all. I really and truly don't. You know, so I just don't. It's always kind of focused in all my relationships, you know, about, um, you know, when I keep the focus on me is what's my job in this deal? Am I the employee? Am I, you know, am I, you know, my mom? You know, I have a hard time with my mom a lot of times. But when I remember that it's just my job to be the daughter and that I do that job to the best of my ability then for some reason my mom gets really good at being a mom, you know, because I accept her for exactly who she is. And I just focus on my job. And my job is to be a good daughter and I do that to the best of my ability. It's always not to her approval, but that's her issue to deal with. I know that I'm doing the best that I can. And the same thing in the wife. And I, you know, and I let Butch be the husband and do the things that he needs to do. And that gives us a shot at it. Um, the uh, second primary idea is we can turn our lives over to a power greater than ourselves. Now that our well-meant aid to the alcoholic has ended in failure and our own lives have become unmanageable, we realize we cannot deal with our problem objectively, perhaps not even sanely. In Al-Anon, we find a power greater than ourselves which can direct our lives into quiet, useful channels. At first, this power may seem to be the group, but as we grow in knowledge and spiritual understanding, many of us call it God as we understand him. You know, and the God concept for me was really, really difficult when I got here. I struggled with that big, big time. Because, um, you know, growing up in, in the house that I grew up in, it's very hard to believe in a God that would let children, you know, have to grow up in an alcoholic home of the type that I grew up in. You know, where is this God that's taking care of you and, you know, that is all-powerful and all-knowing? How come God lets things like this happen? I don't understand. And, uh, you know, and I always thought, you know, God was available to other people, but he was never available to me. Uh, when Butch was really bad, you know, and... Um, and, and, and gone for days, and I was really worried about if he was alive or dead. You know, we, Al-Anons love to think they're dead. And, uh, 
but we want to know so we can get on with it, you know. But there, you know, that's just what that's about. But I, you know, I, you know, those moments when I was so desperate and I would say to God, okay, God, if you're really there, then let him walk through the door right now. And not one time could God get one crappy alcoholic to walk through the door right then, you know. And again, for me in my mind, you know, God became a test thing. It was always a test, you know. It was just, you know, and, and, and that's not anything that I can put my faith in. You know, either, either I was testing God or God was testing me, you know. And again, I don't know where that information came from, but that's just kind of how I looked at it, you know. And I wasn't passing the test, so God wasn't going to be there for me. And, um, and, and at this home group that I initially started going with, which was just, you know, I mean, God put me in exactly this perfect, perfect meeting with these perfect, perfect people. And um, uh, one night, everybody knowing how I was struggling, you know, uh, with finding a God, that night they changed the format of the meeting to God as, as I understand him for my benefit. This meeting was done for my benefit. And everybody went around that room of the 15 people that were in that little group at the time, and they all shared about God and how they had found him in Al-Anon. And, you know, when the meeting was over, my friend Crazy Jean comes up to me and he says, well, Salarsine, did that help you? Do you think you can find a God of your understanding because of what everybody shared with you today? You know, and, and I don't want to do it, too. There's a big difference between can't and won't. And part of it is a lot of fear, you know, in the unknown. And, um, and I didn't want to go there. I just didn't want to go there. So after, you know, when Jean said, you know, do you think you can find a God from what everybody shared tonight, I was like, you know, I appreciate it, Jean, but I just don't know that I'm ever going to have a relationship with a higher power. You know, it's not going to happen to me. And he says, you know, Larsine, why God gave you ears. And you have to know my friend Crazy Jean. He's a mean person. And, um, and, and just the way he said the question, I knew it was going to be some kind of, you know, smarty-ass answer. But I smarty-ass answered him back first. I said, yes, I know, so I can hear what you guys are trying to tell me. He goes, Larsine, in most people's case, you know, case that's true, but in your case, God gave you ears so you would have something to hold on to while you pull your head out of your ass. And... Uh, and pretty much, you know, it's just like that was almost a spiritual thing for me. You know, because what I was really doing was just, you know, I saying, you know, again, there's a big difference between can't and won't. You know, and it, and, and it, it, was, it was really, it wasn't that I couldn't, it was that I was so afraid. I said I can't, but I didn't want to. You know, so that night, you know, I went home and I went in my backyard and, you know, I got home after the meeting and I, you know, looked up you know, to where I think God is supposed to be, because I don't know, you know, and I just said, God, this is Larsine Gantner. I gave him my address and my phone number, you know, and I mean, and, and I don't mean this, I mean, it was really sincere, because I thought he had absolutely no idea who I was, where I lived. I've never talked to you or in any way, and I probably said the first sincere prayer of my entire life is, you know, is I'm here, they're telling me that I have to find a higher power, and um, so here I am. I don't know if I believe in you, I don't know you know, if you're there or you're not there, or if you even give, you know, a care about me or whatever, but this is my first very, very feeble attempt, you know, and that's just kind of been the process for me. And, uh, you know, and again, this much at a time, you know, just this much at a time. And, um, you know, and, uh, and I have a really terrific relationship with, you know, my higher power today. Um, you know, I have two lists every night. You know, when I, when I say my prayers at night, you know, I, I pray for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that I know have health issues and other problems going on. I pray for them. And my second list is the people that I report to God because they are just bad. You know, I mean, there's just people that in this program that I have, you, if you saw what she was doing, God, you've got to send somebody over here to help this person. You know, I mean, you know, and I have that kind of relationship that I think God likes my report list too. You know, I know he's, I, well, he's busy. You know, he counts. That's how we help God out, you know. Now, I don't interfere 
you know, but I just let God know. I know I just let God know oh, you're busy and you probably haven't seen this person's behavior over here, so you might want to come take a look at it, you know. And, uh, you know, but the hard part for me, too, was uh, initially, too, because, because, because I put so much faith in this God, you know, and we have, you know, family, friends in the program, you know, that are so close to us, become very ill. Um, and I could never understand why we would pray for these people and then they would die anyway. You know, that was just a really hard concept for me. And, uh, you know, and if God's there, how come he allows, you know, really wonderful people that have helped so many people to get an awful disease or, you know, have this happen to them or, or have our children die, you know, behind this disease and, or for whatever reason. You know, I didn't understand any of it and I had a real struggle with it. And I remember one time sitting down with my sponsor and she just, and her husband had died uh, from emphysema. And she loved him very much. And, you know, she took my hand when I was telling her about what a hard time, because he had just passed away. And she said, you know what I've learned? God doesn't take people. He just receives them. You know, and that is just, I can't explain it. I don't try to explain it anymore. I don't understand it. I don't pretend to understand it. But I believe that when we um, lose someone that we love, that God, that he is compassionate for us, that he is sympathetic with us, you know, that he is sad along with us, you know, and that he just accepts that person. Life happens as life happens. I don't think it's a test. You know, if it was already this predetermined deal, then why should we even try? If you already know how it's, you know, if it's already written in the book how it's going to end and when it's going to end, why put any effort into being a better person? You know, it's already written, and I don't believe that that's the way. I believe God gives us life. I, you know, I take exception to when people say, but for the grace of God, you know, because I think the grace of God is there for every single person. It's but for the acceptance of God's grace. You're the one who has to ultimately let God into your life so you can have the shot at a good life. And then um, the third primary idea, we need to change both our attitude and our actions. As we become willing to admit our defects, we begin to see how much of our thinking is distorted. We realize how unwise some of our actions have been, how unloving many of our attitudes. We try to recognize and correct these faults. You know, with this, I can say nothing more than having a great home group and a sponsor, you know, to run everything that goes by your head by. Um, you know, I, again, never think my attitude is wrong. I justify every bad behavior I ever have, you know, by what you're doing is why I have to react like this. And uh, my first sponsor, Jeannie, was just a nut about gratitude. Oh, my God, the woman, she even had it on her license plate, attitude of gratitude. I mean, that's all I ever heard out of her mouth all the time. It just was, and I was not a grateful person, in case you think I was. I was not at all grateful. And... Um, you know, and I would always complain about everything, and no matter what I told that woman, no matter what thing was going on in my life, she would find the gratitude in it for me to hang on to. And, uh, and one morning, um, I am cleaning my house, and I have a husband and two boys who are then maybe 8 and 12 years old, something like that, and, uh, and I'm the only girl in the house, so I don't have to tell you what our toilet looks like. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a big bowl. How can you miss it? You know, I don't know, but they do. I never miss. So... So I don't think I should have to clean it up, you know. I'm just like, you know, so I call her up, you know, and I just, so I start, you know, this is crap, you know, blah, 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 and they're peeing all over the place, you know, and why should I have to clean it up, you know? What's so great about this? Why should I be grateful about this? And, and she did not miss a beat. I mean, as soon as I was done, she said, you know, you can be grateful that everyone in your house has a healthy penis. I mean, she was just right on it, you know, and it was, and I never would have thought of that. That's for an armchair. You know, and that's when I did that surrender to her. And, you know, it was just like, okay, Jeannie, I give up. 
I give up? Why do I have to be grateful about everything that's going on in my life, no matter what it is, good or bad, to find the gratitude in it? And she said, it's simply this, Larsine. She says, you can't be grateful and resentful at the same time. And if you want to spend your life being resentful, then you're giving up your life to a bunch of crap. You know, haven't you paid enough days for that, enough days of resentment? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to enjoy what's going on in your life? You know, and, 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 and when she said I couldn't be grateful or resentful, you know, for, you know, at the same time, of course, I spent the whole day trying to do that just to see if I could possibly pull it off. You know, and, but she was absolutely right. You know, and no matter what has happened, no matter what tragedy has befallen me, um, I, I lost a sister to this disease when she was 32 years old. And, uh, you know, one of the worst days of my entire, just one, it was just horrible. And, uh, you know, but, and she was in another state. And uh, Winnie Eddy was alive at that time and talking all over the place. And Winnie Eddy was my sponsor, sponsor. And I had to fly up to, um, to Oregon uh, to uh, where my sister had been killed. And um, I got to go with my mom. And, uh, you know, but when we got off the plane, there were Al-Anon people there to meet us, to take us to where we needed to go to do the things, you know. And I'm never going to be grateful that my sister died. I'm never going to find any gratitude in that. But I found gratitude in is that I had to go to this process, but I didn't have to do it by myself. And these people were also there to comfort my mom, who doesn't really particularly like Al-Anon. But she was really, really grateful, you know, to, to them for having done that. You know, and, um, and this changing of my attitude, you know, and my actions, you know. What I've learned here is if you stay rigid, you will break. You know, and, and to me, rigid is where I go when things get scary. It's like I have to pull everything in and tighten it up. When what, what I've really learned in this program is that's when I have to open up and relax and let it go. You know, and just it's going to be what it's going to be, you know, and I can be an instrument of my higher power, you know, and I have people I can run this stuff by, and I can love people unconditionally, you know, those are the things, you know, that have uh, impacted my life. And then the fourth primary idea is we keep Al-Anon's gifts by sharing them with others. This sharing makes Al-Anon the vital forward-reaching fellowship it is. Our great obligation is to those still in need. Leading another person from despair to hope and love brings comfort to both the giver and the receiver. You know, I've got a friend, Bob Fisher, who's an AA down in our area, and he says people quit coming to the program because they quit being amazed. You know, and I really believe that with all my heart, you know. And so, you know, uh, there's a lot of amazing things to go on. You know, I'm amazed every day that I hear a bird sing because I had lost that ability. You know, and those are the things that I still, you know, when I can see that stuff and feel that stuff, you know, it keeps me in that amazement. And, uh, and this ability to be able to share with other people. You know, my life is really good behind this program. Um, I don't have a lot of bad days anymore, but I'm here to tell you the minute a newcomer walks into our meeting, you know, and I see the pain in that person's face, boy, I know right away where she's coming from. I don't ever want to forget what that was like so that I can be there because identification is so important to new people when they come here. Because imagine, it's hard to come in here when you are in so much pain and we're just laughing our little fannies off at the meeting, you know, because, because we have found, you know, this joy and this happiness, you know, that is available to us. You know, and sometimes you've got to remember how difficult it is for new people. You know, and the same thing with dealing with difficult people in the program. You know, I mean, I mean, there are some people that are a pain in the butt. There's just no getting around it. You know, but what I've learned here is we don't throw anybody away. We don't give up on anybody ever. You know, whether they go or they come, whether they misbehave or do whatever, they're always welcome here if there is a problem of alcoholism in a relative or a friend. And it's not our part to judge, and even though it's so easy to do, once you get a piece of it and you know. 
but uh, you know that opportunity to let other people come along. And as my sponsor always like to say, it's example, it's example, it's example. You know, and that's what they get to see. And if they are constantly welcomed here despite their bad behavior, you know, then they will start to learn them, learn to love themselves. But not until you know we show them the unconditional love that we actually have in these rooms. And um, anyway, that's all I'm going to share. So I'm going to let. Uh, Carl tell you how they do it in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I want to thank you guys very much again for having us here. We've really uh, enjoying ourselves, so thank you.